0: Well this morning, um, dear church family, I want to us to consider um, Micah chapter five, and we'll be looking at the first um, five verses, but with a particular attention upon Micah 5 and verse two, "But thou, Bethlehem, Pathra, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah." Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Title of the sermon is The Great Ruler from a Little Town. The Great Ruler from a Little Town. One of Charles Spurgeon's most famous and well-known sermons was Titled the incarnation and birth of christ and he based that sermon upon micah 5 verse 2 and at the beginning of his sermon he ad- addresses um, what we might call the um, elephant in the room when it comes to reformed um, congregations um, whether we should pay any attention really to advent of course advent begins today as the fourth sunday before christmas advent in the church calendar uh, in the west ends on christmas eve um, but the he addresses whether it is justifiable as reformed as puritan as protestant christians to observe advent and to observe christmas at all um, but spurgeon took a pragmatic approach and i just want to Quote, quote him briefly he, he, he said this at the beginning of his sermon he said this is the season of the year when whether we wish to or not we are compelled to think of the birth of Christ I hold it to be one of the greatest absurdities under heaven to think that there is any religion in keeping Christmas day there are no probabilities whatever That our Saviour Jesus Christ was born on that day. And the observance of it is of popish origin. Doubtless those who are Catholics have a right to hallow it. But I do not see how consistent Protestants can account it the least sacred. But then he goes on. However I wish there were ten or a dozen Christmas days in the year. For there is work enough in the world. And a little more rest would not hurt labouring people. Christmas Day is really a boon to us particularly as it enables us to assemble round the family hearth and meet our friends once more. Still although we do not fall exactly in the track of other people I see no harm in thinking of the incarnation and birth of the Lord Jesus. We do not wish to be classed with those who with more care keep holiday the wrong than others the right way. The old Puritans made a parade of work on Christmas Day just to show that they protested against the observance of it. But we believe that they entered that protest so completely that we are willing as their descendants to take the good accidentally conferred by the day and leave its superstitions to the superstitious well I think I would, what I might add to that is that at least there are some specific sermons on the incarnation and the birth of Christ by observing Advent um, because that's an aspect of Christian teaching which is often neglected in the reformed world Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said I would lay it down as a rule that there are special occasions which should always be observed I believe preaching special sermons on Christmas day and during the Advent season well Spurgeon is basically saying the Puritans made the point so well we don't need to make the point anymore Um, and let's take the good accidentally given to us Um, and so I would say if you don't agree with observing Advent take it up with Martin Lloyd-Jones and take it up with Charles Spurgeon don't take it up with me because I'm nobody (laughs) well this verse Micah 5 verse 2 as we all know, is quoted and arguably misquoted by the chief priests and scribes when Herod demanded of them where Christ should be born in Matthew 2, verses 5 and 6. We read it earlier. It says, And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of judah for out of these shall come a governor that shall rule my people israel well the observant amongst us will see that there's a very big difference between um, matthew chapter 2 verse 6 and micah 5 verse 2 matthew the chief priests and the scribes are quoting micah 5 verse 2 and yet There is a big difference between them. Micah refers to Bethlehem, epaphthora, emphasising the littleness and the insignificance of the place where Messiah would be born. The chief priests and the scribes, they emphasise the significance of the place of Bethlehem. They call it Bethlehem of Judah. Micah says of Bethlehem, though thou be little among the thousands of judah the scribes and the chief priests say the opposite and they say and thou bethlehem in the land of judah art not the least among the princes of judah and then we notice that the most amazing aspect of micah's prophecy is missed out altogether by the scribes and the chief priests there is no mention of the phrase whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. So I believe when we read Matthew's account, we must pay close attention to the text. It says, they said unto him, unto Herod. It's not Matthew quoting Micah. It's the chief priests and the scribes quoting, or I think misquoting, Micah. And maybe this is an early warning in Matthew of a a theme that he returns to, that the religious leaders of Christ's time didn't know how to read the word of God. How often Jesus would say to them, have you never read? Or do you not understand? They twisted the scriptures to their own destruction. They miss out or change the bits of scripture they didn't like, which didn't fit with their preconceptions of what Messiah would be like. And maybe they didn't like to think of Messiah coming from an insignificant place like Bethlehem. And they tried to big up, they say, Bethlehem of Judea. They certainly didn't like the idea of a Messiah whose goings forth were from eternal ages. And therefore they left that bit off altogether despite this it's an amazing thing that over 700 years before Herod asked this question of the chief priests and scribes Micah prophesied the birth and the birthplace of the Messiah of course there's a there's a redemptive background to this and there's an historical background to Micah 5 verse 2. In the broadest terms Micah picks up on a promise that runs right through the Old Testament and we're tracing the development of that on Tuesday nights. But I'll, so I'll only just say this that the, the concept of Messiah developed over time but it was right there at the very beginning of the Bible. In Genesis 3.15 we have what is called the, the Proto Evangelium, the first gospel, which Derek Kidner calls the first glimmer of the gospel. I will put, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. This promise of Messiah was there right at the beginning of time and develops all the way through the Old Testament until we get to Matthew and uh, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's that redemptive background to Matthew 5 verse 2 but there's also the immediate historical background background Um, when Micah wrote the city of Jerusalem was surrounded and was threatened by the armies of Sennacherib Um, and this threat together with the prophecies of Isaiah and Micah who worked together drove Hezekiah and the other leaders to their knees didn't it? We read of that in, in Isaiah and Micah, both there and also throughout his prophecy, warns of the fall of Jerusalem. And that's probably the immediate historical context. This, the Assyrian army surrounding Jerusalem and laying siege to it. And this is what we read, of course, in Micah 5, verse 1, the immediate background. Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. So he's speaking of a siege. God's people are embattled and vulnerable and weak and in great danger. They need to mobilise, gather the troops together. They need to muster the troops because the king of Assyria has laid siege against us and and Israel is being humiliated and shamed it says they shall smite the judge of Israel upon the cheek which was a way in those days of, of bringing shame and insult upon a defeated enemy and yet it is out of this surrounded weak vulnerable shamed nation of Judah that Micah prophesies that a great ruler will come and not only out of Judah out of probably the most insignificant little place in Judah Bethlehem verse 2 in verse 2 Micah addresses this town he, he he almost looks at the town and he says but thou Bethlehem Ephrathah." there's this double reference which is perhaps similar to us saying you know when we speak of Tiverton we might say Tiverton mid Devon Ephrathah was the region in which Bethlehem was situated and there's something isn't there so suitable about the fact that the Lord Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Epathra. Bethlehem, in Hebrew, beit Lehem, the house of bread. When the Lord Jesus Christ came, the Messiah, he said, I am the bread of life. I am bread for the hungry. And through the, his miracles with bread and fish, he he was demonstrating the fact that um, all who come to him will never hunger. He is a, he is bread for the world, spiritually speaking. And you know it's true for you and I. Uh, if we don't if, you, if we don't know Christ today as saviour, it is only in Christ that the soul confined real nourishment real food otherwise you're in a spiritual famine Spurgeon in his his famous sermon I referred to at the beginning speaks of the blessed bread of heaven made of the bruised body of our Lord Jesus and baked in the furnace of his agonies no one could write like Spurgeon could they at the cross symbolised in the Eucharist and the Lord's Supper through bread his body was broken for sinners like you and I he who was born in Bethlehem the house of bread was the bread of life and his body was broken for the world the bread of life was born in the house of bread and then, how fitting that Micah said, "Bethlehem or Bethlehem, Ephephra." Ephephra in the Bible is, is often used, or sometimes used interchangeably with Bethlehem, because it's, as I say, it's the region in which Bethlehem is situated. But the significance of Ephephra is that it connects the birthplace of Jesus with King David. 1 Samuel 17, 12 says, now David was the son of that epathrite of Bethlehem Judah, whose name was Jesse. And we know from scripture that the Lord Jesus Messiah came from the family, the line, the genealogy of David. He was the son of David. 2 Samuel 7:16 says this was God's promise to David and thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee thy throne shall be established forever it's the same Messiah the same Lord Jesus that Micah is prophesying will come and Samuel says thy house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee thy throne shall be established forever you know this great future ruler that, that Micah says will be born in the house of bread, his rule will be established, he says, forever. Will never end. His reign will never come to an end. Louis XIV was uh, a <clears throat> France. He reigned for 72 years. He's got the record. Queen Elizabeth II lived for, uh, reigned for 70 years we never thought she would die in England and when she died we, we were all shocked we thought she would live forever it seemed very unlikely that these great kings their reigns would ever come to an end because when, or queens because they went on and on and on decade after decade but they, their reigns their Thrones, they came to an end, didn't they? But this Messiah King will reign forever. This is he of whom Micah prophesies. And in Micah 5 verse 2, again, Micah contrasts the greatness of the person with the littleness of Bethlehem, his birthplace it says there though thou be little among the thousands of Judah Lord Jesus whose throne would never end was born among the little of the thousands of Judah and this is a hint isn't it it's a sort of faint hint if you like of the state of humiliation which Christ entered when he came into this world as our saviour He came from heaven to earth. He took the form of a servant. He came to minister and not to be ministered unto. And his family was not even afforded the comfort of a decent room when he was born. And he was laid in a manger. He was born in Bethlehem among the little of the thousands of Judah. And so, in the context of Micah's prophecy, he, he is, and, he's, and Micah is looking at this town, this of Bethlehem. And he says, "You, Bethlehem, as embattled as you are, as surrounded as you are, as humiliated as you are, along with the nation, in great contrast to how little and insignificant you are, you will give rise." to a great ruler the greatest ruler that will ever be again verse 2 yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be the ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from of old from everlasting the implication being that they should take hope and comfort in this despite their pitiful and weak state and status salvation would come from them from their town. The promised Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, Epathra. The savior of the world will be found, in other words, not in a not in a palace in Jerusalem, but among the little, among the lowly, among the lowest. And this again is a theme which runs right through the, the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's consistent with our Savior's life and teaching. And it's consistent with true Christianity. Where does Christ dwell? Well Isaiah answers that in Isaiah 57 verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity whose name is holy I dwell in the high and the holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones the Lord Jesus was to dwell was to be born in the little town of Bethlehem in amongst the lowest and the and the least and God says that's where I dwell with those who who, who bring themselves low you see when as long as we retain our pride in our own virtue or in our abilities we can never really know salvation once um, the apostle Paul did a kind of mental survey of the of the makeup of the Christian church and he concluded this after he did his uh, survey he says not many wise men after the flesh not many mighty not many noble are called but god hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound things which are mighty. And you know, this principle was even in the birthplace of our Savior. It's a principle in Christian salvation you have to get low before you can be lifted up, you have to acknowledge your sinfulness. You have to acknowledge your need of a Saviour if you're ever to know forgiveness. And cleansing. Somehow, you have to get small like Bethlehem before the Saviour can ever be born in you. Because he is born in, in Bethlehem. He's born, he dwells with those of a, of a low and a humble and a contrite spirit. Do you know, the biggest reason people go to hell is because of pride that they think there's something within them that is of worth to God that they can somehow give to God in exchange for their life that there's some merit some innate goodness that they that God will accept but you know unless you get rid of your pride and understand that you you are empty and nothing and it's only the savior can only dwell in you and with you if you come to the end of yourself and throw all the weight of your faith upon his mercy that's only then that you can ever truly know the saviour of the world you have to be little among the thousands of Judah so few can do that so few do it but that's where the saviour that's where the saviour is born in people's lives today In verse, the second verse of chapter 5 also, Micah emphasises the fact that although they are weak and vulnerable and in great danger, as I say, out of them one day will come a ruler. A ruler. That's so important in the context here. And it's important for Christian salvation. It's vital that this Messiah will be a ruler Because Israel is surrounded by strong and powerful enemies. But in the end, all the enemies coming against Israel will be defeated. There's a predicted victory against the enemy of the Lord. They have the upper hand now. But one day, Micah says, this Messiah will come and he will be a great ruler, a great king and this Messiah, this ruler is going to be extraordinary his goings forth it says have been from of old from everlasting this king that's coming has a pre-existence an existence prior to his birth in Bethlehem an ancient infant I, I mean, we've all been, or even those of us who've had uh, children or have children, you know, when we announce to our to our family or or friends that we're, we're expecting a baby or we, we've had a baby, we don't say, "Well, let me introduce you to our new baby, whose goings forth have been from eternity." They think you'd gone mad, wouldn't they? But you see, this baby, this king. Although he was born, his goings forth, although he comes forth, Micah says, his goings forth have been from eternity. An ancient infant. In John's Gospel we are told of this promised Messiah. That in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. John the Baptist's post-baptismal testimony to Christ included this point. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now there's there's two befores there in the English translation, but in the Greek the two befores are two different words altogether. The first before... um, it denotes rank This the one the saviour before me he's more important than me but the second before protos in the Greek this one is first in time and space he has a pre-existence he was he's preferred before me because he was before me you see this Lord Jesus Christ he came forth out unto Israel but his goings forth have been from eternity this promised Messiah will be a man born in Bethlehem a baby he will come forth unto me but his goings forth proceed his coming forth this is the great mystery of the incarnation of course the hypostatic union the foundational Christological doctrine that the person of Jesus is both human and divine. The incarnation, the Christian doctrine we focus on in Advent, referring to the supernatural act of the triune God, whereby the eternal divine Son from the Father, by the agency of the Spirit, took into union with himself a complete human nature apart from sin and as a result the son our lord jesus christ now and forevermore exists as one person in two natures our only lord and savior don't ask me to explain it i can't understand it but all we say is that the lord jesus is not two people he's not he's not schizophrenic He's one person but he has two natures and we can't say any more or understand it any more than that. This one and no less than this one is the great ruler that Micah prophesies will come. They are weak, they're surrounded but he is mighty, this ruler is mighty And the great news of the gospel, dear friends, is that you you don't have to become strong to be saved. In fact, you have to abandon your strength and pride and self-sufficiency. The great news is that this ruler, this saviour, this messiah has all the strength that is required to save us from our enemies. And great are the enemies of, of our souls without Christ. Uh, we're besieged. There's a great darkness around us. The power of sin and hell and death surrounds us. But Christ the Saviour is strong to save. You see it's no good having a, a Saviour who loves us and is, has, has pity on us if he's weak. But we have a compassionate and a strong saviour. He's both willing and able. You need both, don't you? Willing and able to save. And perhaps already whispered through his humble birthplace, Christ achieves all of this through making himself of no reputation he was born in the lowest, most insignificant place as, a, as an early whisper or sign of the fact that he would take upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And yet as weak as the Lord Jesus became yet he was strong. Paul goes on to say wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things on heaven in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in a way that was unexpected Christ has come as promised to be ruler in Israel. To be ruler in his church. To be ruler in this world. He has come and his kingdom has come. It's been inaugurated and it will be consummated. He will come the second time. We pray thy kingdom come. Micah says in verse four, He shall be great unto the ends of the earth. Well we haven't seen the we haven't seen that fully completed yet, but one day his name will be great to the ends of the earth. He will come the second time as surely as he came the first time. Not only to save his people out of the great tribulation that will be on the earth, but to judge the world in righteousness well my friend is he is he your ruler is my question does he reign over your life you see the Lord Jesus is the most gracious and gentle ruler you could ever know but ruler he is Micah 5 verse 3 tells us Psalm something wonderful it says therefore will he give them up until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel yes the fulfilment of this promised deliverance has to wait until the blessed virgin Mary brings forth her firstborn child but now Christ has come The scriptures say we can be brought in. We can be reconciled. We can be included in the citizenship of Israel. The remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. Peter quotes this precisely in 1 Peter 2 verse 10 when he says. Which in time past were not a people but are now the people of God. Which has not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. Well, my question to you is Have you returned? Are you part of the children of Israel? Or are you still a lost sheep? You see, without Christ, everyone is lost. But in salvation, you're, you're brought in, you're, you who are no, not now a people are made a people. You're made. The people of God. Without Christ, everyone is lost, but Jesus has come to seek and to save that which is lost and to bring us into his family. We, that's all we, you and I, are. We're, we're just, this church here as we gather, we're just a bunch of sheep who have been found. And we've been gathered together into one shepherd. But we would be lost as lost as the rest of the sheep were it not for the fact that our wonderful Saviour took the care to find us who like that woman with the lost coin you know it's, it's, it's hard it, could, it takes an effort to find a lost coin doesn't it in your house if you've dropped it you, you have to get on your knees and, and you look under the carpet and you look under the table and you, you, you have to search and, and you find the coin Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, he found us. He searched for you and I. And we're now his people. We have been returned unto the children of Israel and to the God of Israel. 1 Peter 2.25 For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. This ruler will not only include you amongst his people, it says in verse 4 of Micah 5, he will be your shepherd. Micah 5 verse 4 says, and he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Yes, the Lord Jesus can be our daily bread. He will feed us. That's what the shepherd does. He feeds the sheep. He uses this glorious victory of his to stand and feed us. To be the good shepherd. To give eternal salvation in life and in death. To all the returning brothers and sisters to all those out of the nations who are part of this great return unto the children of Israel, to the God of Israel. This is what's happening in the world today and will continue to happen until the second coming. There's a return. There's an ingathering, And it'll carry on and on until Christ comes. Well, do you know this wonderful ruler, shepherd, Do you know him? Is he your ruler? Well, we're coming to the end now. But there's another wonderful phrase here in Micah 5 verse 4. It reminds us that once we've been found, once we've been gathered in, we can never be lost again. It says in 5 4, And he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God and they shall abide. They shall abide. One of the most comforting verses in scripture for the Christian is John 10, 27 to 29. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand my father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my hand yes they shall abide says Micah eternal security and then lastly Micah states in verse 5 of Micah 5 and this man shall be the peace Christ is indeed our peace. Peace with God legally. We know. And then on the basis of that. We we know the peace of God. Subjectively or experientially. He is the Prince of Peace. Whose birth we celebrate in these coming days. We may not have. As the descendants of the Puritans, we may not have designed it this way, but as Spurgeon says, let us take the good of it, take the evangelistic opportunity it provides. He is the Prince of Peace. I say with Spurgeon, take the good accidentally conferred by the day. Or perhaps even better said, John Chrysostom, around 400 in his sermon on the nativity says come let us observe the feast truly wondrous is the whole chronicle of the nativity for this day the ancient slavery is ended the devil confounded the demons take to flight the power of death is broken paradise is unlocked the curse is taken away Sin is removed from us. Error driven out. Truth has been brought back. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Tiverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com That's grace2seekers at gmail.com Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.co.uk.